Please stand and join us as we begin our worship by singing our praises to God together.
worship you as Lord of all. We pray that in our worship today, what we say, what we sing, what we think, what we hear would, would declare that we believe you are the Lord of all. Thank you for being present with us now. Be glorified in our worship and we ask this 
through the name of Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Notice a change in the schedule of Koinonia tonight, speeding at 5 o'clock. I suspect that's because of a game being played this evening that you might be aware of that sometimes it's, you know, you just might as well switch and fight about it, right? So, uh, so they're going to be meeting at 5 o'clock in the chapel. Uh, small groups will be meeting. Uh, also, as I mentioned last week, we're experimenting with uh, an online discussion format of the sermon. And so I, I think today it's there on the webpage. You can click that and been making comments, and uh, if not, it will be up first thing tomorrow morning. But uh, we encourage your feedback. Uh, just time to discuss. The more we engage in what we're talking about, the more it gets into us, and uh, the more we understand what God's calling us to be as His people. So I'd love to have you engage in that, in that interaction. Next Sunday morning, worship again at 8, 20, 9, 40, and 11, and we'll be uh, bringing to a conclusion this particular sermon series about the church and our vision statement and Next, we'll be talking about a church that forgives like Christ. I'm also going to be hosting a membership class uh, probably at the end of this month. If you're interested in joining or knowing more about membership, being a part of that, let me know. And uh, we'll arrange the the schedule as best we can so that people who need to be there, want to be there, are able to do so. There are always prayer concerns that we are remembering, things related to us here as well as things around the world. I do want to add to this list, uh, we want to pray for the family of Elizabeth Simons. Uh, Elizabeth and her husband, Eldon, pastored a number of churches in western New York through the years. Her husband died about a year ago, and she died on Friday. Uh, Her arrangements are tomorrow, a visitation at the Copeland-Williams Funeral Home, 2 to 4 and 7 to 9, and the funeral service will be here in the church Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock. So just please be aware of that for Elizabeth Simons and to pray for her family. We're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. More than just another song, more than just one melody. Sing with us. 
you'd like to use the altar as your place of prayer, listening to God, speaking to God, I invite you to come and join me. Father, we come today and acknowledge that you are the great God, great in power and mercy, in strength and in goodness. We thank you for your work in this world and your work in our lives and in this place. 
We come now to pour out our hearts before you and to hear you speaking into our lives. Father, this morning we come recognizing our struggles with sin and with all the ways in which we turn our own way instead of your way and we hurt each other. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers of repentance. Speak to us words of forgiveness. Father, as we gather today, there are all kinds of burdens that are on our hearts. We think of people who are struggling with illness and disease and pain, and we think of people who are grieving. We think of people who are are struggling with relationships that are out of sync or worse. And in this moment of silence, hear our prayers for one another and speak to us words of healing and grace and mercy. Father, we pray for the needs of our world. We are burdened by the pain and the heartache and the evil that we see in this world. So many people who are hurting and are hurting others. People grasping for power and willing to to do anything to get it. People who will do anything for fame, fortune, wealth. People who have been hurt so deeply that they seem to have no conscience. People who are struggling with famine and disease and drought. People living as refugees are so much hurt and pain. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers for our world and speak to us words of assurance that you are at work.
Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your grace in our lives and in this world. Thank you for your presence that is at work when we see it and when we don't. In confidence, because of who you are, we offer all of our prayers through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our risen and returning King. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It's on page 1079 in the Bible in your pews. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miracles were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Please stand and sing with us. Shit. 
Father, speak to us. And we just pray that you would give us ears to hear. Let our hearts be open to what you know we need to hear. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. A few months ago, I read an article by um, Alan Miller. don't know a lot about him. It was on uh, CNN's webpage. I tried to do a little background information about him. Uh, all I could determine is that he is a founder of a, a website that's a free forum of ideas. And I, I didn't get any indication that he was connected to mainstream evangelical thought, which is what made his article even more intriguing to me. It was titled, I'm, not, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, is a cop-out. And, and he, the premise of the article is that, he said, people haven't so much stopped believing in God as they have connecting themselves to religious institutions. And as he talked to the article, he talked about he, what he described the me generation. I think he's probably talking about younger generations, but quite frankly, as I read the article, it's... It spreads over all generations to some degree. It may be a little bit more pronounced now than it was. But there is this mindset in the, about the people whom he's writing that I can be more spiritual on my own than I could be if I have to mess with religious institutions like the church. I'm, I'm better off spiritually to just go my own way, do my own thing, find my own path, than to try to conform to the patterns that institutions like the church have developed. And his premise of that is, that's a cop-out. Because when you boil it down, he says, what it's really saying is, I just want my spirituality to be what I want it to be. I don't want to be challenged. I don't really want to be transformed I just want what I want. And he says, you know, what you, what you end up with is, is a kind of spirituality that just looks like me. A spirituality that, that ha- doesn't have as its end transformation, but rather that I feel good. That, that, I, that I have nice feelings about myself and life. Not that I might be changed or shaped into something better than what I am. When I read that article, it it struck a chord with me, particularly in our, our Western American infatuation with independence. You know, we, we love independence. We value independence. We almost worship independence. You know, we, we want to make our own decisions. We want to be our own person. We want to do what we want to do. And all of our lives, we are taught about independence. And, and independence can be good. You know, our whole nation was founded on being independent from Britain. And so everything that we have, to, everything talked about by the, our 
forefathers and, and the founders of our nation keeps coming back to the idea of we are independent. They're not going to tell us what to do. And that has so become a part of our culture that we don't even think about it anymore. Now, as I said, independence is good. It has very positive parts to it. But we have become so engrossed with independence that we don't see how it has taken us outside of the realm of what's healthy for us. And I was reminded after I read that article about something that Cyprian of Carthage, third century leader in the church who was eventually martyred for his faith, something he said. He said this, he cannot have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. He cannot have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. In essence, what he is saying is, you cannot truly have a relationship with God if you're not connected to the church. In his opinion, it's impossible. And I suspect when we hear that, there's a part of us that says, yeah, but. I I get that, but... And we don't even realize how much that that spirit of independence that's been ingrained in us causes us to judge a statement like that. But the reality is when we read the scriptures, when we read especially the New Testament, we find that the church is central to what it means to be a follower of Christ. There is nothing, you see nothing in the New Testament of people who, who go their own way with no connection to the church. It is faith in the context of the church. It is being spiritual in the context of the church. And one of the ways we see that here is in Acts chapter 2. As the church comes together, we get this image of what the church was like. On that very first, right after the first part of it, that the church is organized, Pentecost is part of, begins chapter 2 of Acts And as as that time progresses, we get this image of the church being together and and connected together and being dependent on each other. And it's that image in our minds as we were shaping, what do we want? What do we feel like God is leading us to be as a church? How do we describe as we've prayed and we've thought about this as the Houghton Wesleyan Church? What do we believe God is calling us to be? If the Spirit filled us completely and we we were... gave off the image of nothing but the Spirit, what might that look like? And we came up with these 12 bullet points that are on this this bookmark. And one of those bullet points that I want us to think about today is this. Empowered by God's Spirit, we will affirm our strong dependence on each other. We will affirm our strong dependence on on each other. Now again, I, I think something in our minds sort of, I mean, we, we resonate with that and we get a little nervous about that. But when we read the New Testament, it, that's what we see. Now, you know, it's not that we don't like the church. I mean, we're here, Right? 
So we have some, some affiliation to the church, some, some, uh, some liking of the church. We, we may even say that we love the church. But do we have this sense of connectedness to the church, the sense of dependence on the church? And I realize that we are at various stages of our walk with Christ and maybe even various stages of our connectedness to this particular congregation. And some of you are here for a brief time because you're in school. Some of you haven't been attending here very long. Others of you have been here a long time. And so we're at different stages of that. But what I'm talking about today is a mindset as much as anything else. That we understand the mindset that Christ has called us to as his followers in connection to the church. That if we are here as, as residents in this area and this is our church, we are connected to this church. And we have the sense of dependence with each other in this church. And at some point, because of your education or whatever, you go somewhere else, that you have this mindset that I am connected to a local group of Christians. And we rise and fall together. And we're connected to each other and we're dependent on each other because that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean the church is perfect. We, we all know the church is not perfect. We are all living witnesses of the church not being perfect. If we were to, if I were to, if we would go around the room and say, all right, what did you do this week that would tell us the church isn't perfect because you're in it? We'd all have something to say, right? I'm not going to do that. So take, you know, don't, you can relax. I'm not going to have us do that. But if we did, we all know we're not perfect. The New Testament church isn't perfect either. And we have this idyllic scene in Acts chapter 2 where they're all together and they're sharing everything and, and, and you get the feeling that, that there, there is nothing but love in this group. But that isn't exactly every indication we have of the New Testament church. Because in, in chapter 5, there, there are some folks who come, along, come into the church and a part of the church who exhibit high levels of greed. In chapter 6, we got prejudice and racism. And by the time you get to the end of chapter 15, these great saints, Paul and Barnabas, are so, have such a strong disagreement with each other, they can't even work together anymore. And they go their separate ways. And sometimes, you know, through the years I hear people say, we just want to be a New Testament church. And I, and I want to say to them, which New Testament church do you want to be? I mean, I know what they mean. They mean this church in Acts chapter 2. But, but I want to say, which New Testament church do you want to be? you want to be a church at Corinth? With, you know, all the immorality. They are, you know, they are, they are desecrating the, the Lord's Supper. They're a messed up group of people. you want to be the church in Galatians that, that is legalistic and, 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 and racist, prejudiced? Which, which church do you want to be? You want to be the church at Laodicea that's not hot or cold or just lukewarm? The reality is the New Testament church isn't perfect. But when Christians, when we see Christians in the New Testament, they're committed to each other despite being imperfect. Despite being fallible. You never get a sense that Paul gives up on the church despite all the things he has to write to churches. You don't get the sense that Peter gives up on the church despite what he has to write to the churches. Jesus doesn't give up on the church despite what he has to say to the churches. Because if we want to be Christian, we are not just interested in the church. 
We are connected to the church and we have a spirit, a mindset, an affirmation of being dependent on the church. And what I find so fascinating is that when you get to the end of this, of cha- of this section in chapter 2, it talks about how the church, describing the church, it says, and the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. What happens when the church is connected to each other? What happens when the church is dependent on each other? When they have that mindset, the kingdom is enlarged. People want to know about Jesus. They come into Jesus. Jesus himself told his disciples, in in John's gospel is recorded, he says to them, they'll know that you are my followers, that you're Christians, that, that you're my disciples, if you love each other. If there is this spirit of love and connectedness and and grace among you, people will be attracted to that. Because you're not going to see that anywhere else. That's one of the things that we're trying to do with this tree when we put it in the prayer room. And everyone who came to pray wrote their name on one of the leaves and stuck it into these spots in the tree. Is that we wanted it to have this image of all of us together. You know, It wouldn't really look like the kind of tree we want if there were just five or six or 10 or 15 leaves stuck in it around. But because there are almost 500 leaves in it, it looks like a a beautiful tree. And that's what we want to be. And I'm convinced that the only way we can be the Christians individually that God's called us to be is in the context of the church. Eugene Peterson says that that the church is the place, the primary place, where we learn the language of love. And the reason for that is because we are challenged so often in the church about how we're going to love. We're challenged to love and we're challenged to selflessness. And you cannot learn selflessness by yourself. You can't do it. If all you have is yourself, you're always going to do what you want. Who's going to challenge that? You can only learn selflessness in the context of other people, in the context of community. And you can only learn that in the context of community if you're connected to that community, if there's a sense of dependence in the community. And I know that that means we are going to take risks and we're going to make ourselves vulnerable. But that's how we grow. That's how we mature. If we're never taking any risks to love we never learn to love and we never experience love. We'll never mature if we don't take risks, if we don't make ourselves vulnerable. That's how we do it. And it's in the context of the imperfect church, the context of a community of people who, who fail and struggle and we hurt each other and we disappoint each other and we let each other down. And sometimes... We don't look anything like Jesus. But instead of running away, instead of just going into our shell and saying, I don't want to mess with that anymore, I'm doing my own thing, we, like Jesus, Peter, Paul, and the others, say, despite what's happening, I'm connected. I'm going to learn from this, and I'm going to grow from this. Because what we often don't remember is that just as others might be hurting us or creating struggles for us, I'm pretty sure there are times when we're doing that to other people. 
We just forget that side of it. But it's us together. It's us connected together. And this idea of dependence, as we talk about in the, in, this, in the bullet point of our vision statement, that is not a stepping stone to get where we want to be. That we, we practice dependence so that we can become the church we want to be and God wants us to be. Practicing dependence is being the church God wants us to be. That's what it means to be the church, is to be connected to each other, to be dependent on each other, to love each other, to forgive each other, to be there for each other, to serve each other, to sacrifice for each other. That's what it means to be the church. It's not a stepping stone to greater heights. That is the greater height. That's what it means to be God's people. That's what we're trying to get to. And we're trying to change our mindset about how important that is. I think the reason it's important is because if you really boil it down, what we're, what we're doing is, is mimicking what we see in the Trinity, in the Godhead. The Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit is not a static relationship. It is a dynamic relationship. It is a dynamic relationship of interaction and interdependence and interconnectedness. And so the Father and Son and Spirit play off of each other and represent each other. And I don't claim to understand everything going on in the Trinity. I don't know of anyone who can fully wrap their human mind around the Trinity. It is so far beyond us. But if you read the Scriptures, and as we study those who have gotten some glimpses into the truth of the Trinity, there is this mindset, this idea, the Spirit in the, in the Godhead of interconnectedness that we are called to be as the church. And so there are people who say, well, we just focus our attention on God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. That's secondary. Don't understand God. There are churches who, who claim, call themselves Jesus-only churches. And all their focus is on Jesus and God the Father and the Spirit who really have nothing to do with who they are. They don't understand God. And there are some churches who are focused so much on the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and what the Spirit's going to do that they don't pay any attention really to God the Father and the Son. It's secondary. They don't understand the God. They don't understand God's nature. It is all together that makes who God is. And we're simply mimicking what we see in the Trinity. What it means to be the church. See, I think we have we bought into the idea that that the corporate nature of our faith is, is an option for us. Do you, do you remember the game of life? Do you ever play the game of life? You know, it's a board game. It's a board that unfolds and it's got a spinner that makes a clacky-clack sound. You know, a little thing that you spin around like a roulette wheel kind of thing. And, and you have little cars with pink and blue uh, little sticks that go in the cars, little pegs. And, and you go around a board and you, know, you go through all these events in life. Well, at the beginning of that game, you have to make a choice. You come to the spot where you have to stop. And you have to decide, are you going to go to college or are you going to go into a profession? And, and there's pros and cons to both decisions. And as you go, but as you go along the game, the decision you make will have bearing on some of the spaces that you land on, depending on that decision you make there. And some of, those, some of the things, consequences are positive, some of the consequences are negative. 
And you have to make your choice which way you're going to go. And, and I think in our minds there is this sense that when we, when we become a Christian, it's as though Jesus sets us down and says, okay, now, do you want to go the way and engage in the church? Or do you want to just you and me go your own way? You, you can take your pick. There are pros and cons to both. Do what you want. But whatever decision you make is going to have bearing on the rest of your life and the way things go. And we think it's an option for us. It's not an option for us. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a part of the body of Christ. You're connected to one another. We're connected to one another and we're dependent on one another. And if you're, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a part of the church. And we, to say that we have a choice about being in the church or not is like saying someone has, that a baby who has the choice of who they're, mother and father are going to, birth parents are going to be. We don't. It's part of the deal. Whether we like it or not, it's a part of the deal. And as we look at the New Testament church in this particular example, this image that we have from Acts 2, we see how the church interacts with each other. There's learning going on there in the church of learning, to, learning from the apostles and learning from each other. And that's what happens when we're dependent on each other. It's not just you learning from me. It's me learning from you, us learning from each other. As God speaks into our lives, there is a sense of testing that goes on in the church, testing what the Spirit says to us. Because quite frankly, we sometimes get the Spirit wrong. And we need each other to keep us accountable. We need each other to test the spirits. God may say something to us and we're not quite sure if it's from God or not. That's why we need the church and we talk through it with each other. and We pray with each other. Ever so often someone will do something heinous in the world. And you'll hear them say, God told me to do that. I guarantee you that person is not a part of of a church, not a part of a fellowship of believers. Because if they were, and there was real connectedness and dependence, and they ran that idea past the church, they'd probably say, that's not a good idea to do that. But our independence leads us to think, whatever we feel is always right. We said in the bigger scope of the church, think about the, the church in Kansas that pickets military funerals and and holds signs up about how much God hates people that they believe are sinners. I mean, it's just, it's terrible the things that they do in the name of God. They are an independent church. They are proud of being an independent church. They are proud that no one's going to tell them what to do. They have God's word to them. Nothing else matters. They are the true believers I guarantee you, if they didn't have that spirit of arrogance and they really connected with some other groups and they were willing to listen to them, there would be people who would say to them, what you're doing, not from God. That spirit of independence doesn't make us better Christians. It makes us more arrogant Christians. And there is a sense of, of sharing life together and sharing what we have together. In this passage, it talked about whatever they had, they shared with people who are in need. There was a sense of what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. 
that's foreign to us because in this country particularly, we tend to think what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. If I feel like it, I might share a little bit of mine with you or you with me, but it's still mine. The New Testament church in this picture, what's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. We share as we need. That's one of the concepts that we have in terms of the church and and supporting the ministries of the church. You know, that we we give to to the church and that allows the church to, to fund Wednesday night programs for children and youth programs and Sunday school and put heat in the building and lights and, and pay us staff to, to help us grow and, and to, to teach us and to lead us and, and to give money to missions and to give food to the food pantry and to help people who are in need in, in the surrounding areas. All of that is possible because we're sharing what we have with each other. And you might have noticed we're quite a ways behind in our budget. And maybe as you think about this idea of dependence and, and connecting with each other, maybe God will lay on your heart to give something more to help us in the ministry of the church. And we do that on a bigger scale. You know, we're part of a a denomination, part of a Western New York district. And we're connected to each other. And a few years ago, we saw a perfect example of that. We have this liability policy for our churches that goes through the district. And it's one policy that all the churches are connected to and get a better rate that way. And the district changed companies and got a better coverage and lower premiums. But what ended up happening is about a third of the churches, their premiums stayed the same. About another third, their premium went down quite a bit. Another third, the premium went up some. What was interesting is that most of the premiums that went down were the larger churches and the premiums that went up were smaller churches. And so the district came to those of us, including our church, our premium went down and said, would you be willing to give back some of what you've saved so that the churches who had to pay a little more would be able to pay the same amount they've been paying and to subsidize that. And we all said, of course. Of course we'll do that. That's what we do for each other. It wasn't a church that gained from that decision that said, no way, we're keeping what what we get. It's ours. No, the most natural thing in the world to say, of course, we want to help each other. Because that's what the church does. That's the connectedness and the dependence. Does that mean that we had to give up some? Yeah, it did. But that's okay. And as we are dependent on each other, does that mean we're going to have to sacrifice? Of course. But that's okay. How often does God work in our lives in significant ways when we are willing to make a sacrifice? When we make a selfless decision, it's like, it's, it's like it opens a door for the Spirit to, to fill us in deeper ways. Every time we make a selfless, sacrificial decision, we've opened ourselves just a little bit more for the Spirit to make us a little bit more like Christ. The church gives us opportunities to do that. As Christians, we, we are living in this tension of our personal relationship with Christ and the personal decisions we have to make, but always in the context of the church, of God's people, locally, globally. 
And anytime we, we focus too much on being just me and Jesus, we skew it. Because as Christians, we rise and fall together. I'm not one really much for running, just for running's sake. I probably should. You know, look at the weight I've put on lately. But, you know, if I have a ball in my hand, I'll run, well, as long as I possibly can. But I'll run a long time. Playing basketball, football, baseball. You know, I love playing, running when I'm playing a game. But I've never been a real big fan of just running. But I admire people who do. I admire people who can run sprints at a speed that I can't even imagine. And and admire people who can run distances that I can't even begin to fathom. Run for, you know, 15 minutes. And some people can run even longer than that. Uh, I'm dead after 15 minutes. That's a long time for me to run. And then I hear people talking about, yeah, I ran for three hours. I'm thinking, I I can't even comprehend that, running for three hours. I can barely walk for three hours. I don't understand that. But I'm amazed at people who can do that. And I was talking with someone the other day about running cross-country and being part of a cross-country team. And, and they told me something that I had never realized. They always thought cross-country races are who wins, who crosses, who breaks the tape. That's the whole point of it, is to be number the first place. And he said, well, not really. Because cross-country, despite what people think, is a team sport. And, and you get points based on how you finish. One point for first, two points for second, three points for third, and so on. And like golf, low score wins. And he said the, the best coaches not only try to push the slower runners to run faster, but they also try to encourage the faster runners to dial it back just a little bit. Because if they run just a little bit slower, then those slower runners can be a little bit closer to them and they can, in essence, pull them along to a faster speed than they could have thought they would have thought they could run. As opposed to feeling discouraged because the first guy or two is so far out in front of you, you couldn't catch them, you couldn't even be near them. But you try to run a little bit closer together and you feed off each other's energy and you encourage each other and you keep pushing each other. And he said his brother won a high school, their high school cross-country team won the state championship. And he said it was, it was so interesting because they didn't have anybody that placed first, second, third, or fourth. But they placed fifth, sixth, seventh, ninth, and eleventh. And they won. Because the guy who finished first, his teammates finished 13th and 24th and 58th. And the person who finished second, his teammates were spread out like that too. But these guys stuck together and they kept working with each other and pulling each other along and being willing to sacrifice their own personal victory for the victory of the team. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the church is a team sport. The church is about us. And being a Christian is a team sport. It's about being connected to each other and being dependent on each other and being willing to risk and be vulnerable and put ourselves in a place where we really are living life together. Because that is the means 
to becoming mature in Christ. Together. I'd like for us to take just a moment to to ponder, to think, to pray about what God may be saying to us about something in our lives, a place in our lives where we need to engage ourselves more fully in being dependent and connected to the church. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes, open our minds, give us a new perspective about our connectedness and our dependence as the church. Nudge us, challenge us, change us. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand as we sing together.
Make your love overflow and increase for each other and for all people. It may strengthen you in your inner being that you might be holy and blameless in the presence of our God and Father on the day when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. Amen.